Welcome to episode number 228 of Destination Linux. Whether you're brand new to open source or a guru of sudo, this is the podcast for you. My name is Jill, and with me today are Noah, Michael, and Ryan. Hello, hello. So on this week's episode of Destination Linux, we have everyone's favorite hacker, Bo, on for his Hack Shack Snacks segment. Then we take a look at the recent updates with Inkscape and some rumors coming from Valve. We also have some interesting Linux news coming from Google and Microsoft. Plus, we have our tips, tricks, and software picks. All this coming up right now on Destination Linux to keep your penguins marching. In the community feedback this week, Scott Rice is to say, I recently listened to a talk by Frank Abagnale from the Catch Me If You Can movie, uh, the, the actual person doing it, because they had a talk at the Google at a Google talk. And at the end of that talk, he mentioned Trusona. Can you do a short segment on the idea of uh, the practice of logging in without a standard password like Trusona? Uh, I try to use MFA, uh, 2FA whenever I can. This me- seems like a next level of security. Thanks for the shows, Scott. Ryan, what do you think about this topic? Well, I agree with the idea if I didn't listen to the talk itself. So I don't know exactly what was talked about with Trusana, but Trusana essentially is a using your phone as a token of authentication. And so it combines the app itself, which would provide kind of a a code that you would use or type into your actual PC as an authentication method into uh, your computer. But also on your phone itself, of course, if you have things like biometrics or fingerprint and things turned on, then you've got these additional layers of getting to that authentication code to get into your device. Now, there are multiple implementations I've seen of this kind of technology in the corporate world. I've seen it where you've got, first of all, this this particular company, I'm not familiar with their product, but there's a lot of big name companies out there producing phone as a token kind of multi-authentication methods. Uh, where you would go into the phone, you'd take that token, you would put it in, and that's it. You're logged into your machine once you put that token in. There's other ones where you would use your standard password, and then you would utilize the token as well in order to connect to a VPN and those type of things. At the end of the day, I think this type of technology is better than just having only a password. I think it's better than SMS only two-factor authentication, where it's sending a text message to people's phones, because we know that that can be hijacked. Um, with SIM swapping and those type of things. Do I think it's a perfect security solution? No, but when you think about a corporate environment, you've got uh, companies, again, with 20, 40, 50, 100,000 employees. They're going to have a very wide range of technical capabilities. So you don't want to use something that's so much more secure than this technology, for instance, but so difficult that nobody knows how to use it or not using it effectively or start to write things down or find ways to make it easier to get in their PCs uh, because you've made it too cumbersome. So I think it's a better idea than just having passwords. I don't wouldn't say it's the perfect security solution, but I understand why big companies and things employ this type of technology. Noah, what are your thoughts on this? I guess what I would tell you is that uh, two-factor authentication is good, but if you're going to introduce a new factor into your authentication, you better be sure that that in itself is is secure, right? So, you know, if you look at, if you kind of back out and look at a 30,000 picture view, it sounds good to say, hey, everyone should have a password and you should use second factor. Okay. But if my password manager is a cloud-based thing in which the cloud-based provider has access to my key database. And my second factor is something that can be easily enough spoofed because it's a function of a Google app or something that's restored to my phone and backed up to either iCloud or Google. Then have I really increased my security or have I just handed that off to someone else? It's important that you understand how, how that security works. And, and, and so I also haven't heard of that particular service. I'm more of a fan of hardware based devices like the YubiKey or OnlyKey, but, right. um, but yeah, I mean, any step in the direction of a second factor is probably better than, than not. Yeah. Yeah. I think the concept of the Trusona was kind of replacing passwords, but not necessarily just in addition. Well, uh, if I was going to replace passwords, then I would then I would start looking. I would go a totally different route. Then is the answer. I would, you know. Um, yeah, you, you would stick still with the hardware based solution. Yes, but primarily because the the OAuth two standard is it's specifically designed to combat this. Right, it's the whole idea that passwords are effectively busted. You you can't. You know, so 
the the NIST standard says that if you want a password that is virtu- that is that is uncrackable by today's standards, then it should be 24 characters or greater, a mix of uppercase, lowercase letters, and special characters. So obviously, the first thing that comes to mind is, well, you could might be able to remember one, two, three, or four of those, but you're not going to be able to remember a different one for every account. Well, by the way, you should have a different one for every account. So you instantly arrive almost instantaneously at a password manager. And then when you start evaluating password managers, okay, well, how do I secure that? Well, that's where you're going to want a second factor of authentication. But if we're going to do away with the concept of, if we say that passwords are just a gigantic string that have to be difficult for a computer to crack and very difficult for a human to memorize to begin with, then you start to, you go down one of two paths. Either you go down the the direction of pass phrases, which are more memorable, but still have a very high entropy, or you go the route of saying, well, I'll just tie it to a specific device and then I'll secure that device. And so something I have and something I know, now I've dramatically decreased my threat vector because somebody can't just hammer on that password. They don't have access to the hash. Um, and 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 so that's where you get to that OAuth 2 standard where I'm not going to type in a password. I'm just going to, I'm going to type in maybe a five or seven digit pin, but that pin unlocks a cryptographic key that's located on a device. And then that's what actually allows me into my, my account. Yeah. My fear, uh, piggybacking on that a little bit with the phone authentications, even though it's better than the SMS versions that I've seen out there, is when you have anything that's app-based, the likelihood that your end users are providing proper security on their device, right? That they're using proper security on their personal device. Because a lot of companies, you're using your personal device, you're installing this authentication, this additional multi-factor authentication app onto your device. Number one, are they locking their phone down? right from the get-go. Now, I have seen some apps that actually require before you can install the app that you have some type of two-factor authentication on your phone, whether it be a pattern, whether it be a passcode, whether it be biometric. But again, a lot of those, depending on which one you choose of those, can be easily hacked or bypassed. Number two is the type of apps they're installing on top of their device. So let's say their personal device is a rooted Android device or even just a standard Android device, but they download every app they find on the market by the thousands, some of this stuff could obviously be spoofed. So again, I don't think it's a perfect solution. I, like Noah, also agree that a hardware, separate hardware solution is probably a better option, but it's interesting and it's better than the things we've seen out there before. And the longer the passwords and passphrases go, even though you can have there in bold text as an IT person, do not write down your passwords, do not save them somewhere for other people to see, make sure you memorize it people are going to open, create text files with their password and things like that so they can memorize it. They don't forget it. They don't have to bother IT to unlock it. Where's my sticky note? Yeah, sticky (laughs) notes on their laptop. Like people do crazy (laughs) things. So, uh, you know, the long password thing is great, but it's just not um, feasible as your only option. Shouldn't be the only option you're using to allow people to get into your network. And also, this is a completely side topic, but it's related to the Google Talk that was that Frank Abagnale did. Someone asked him about like what is one tip that you would give about you know personal finance. Uh, he said that no one should use debit cards and that credit cards are better because they have mm-hmm. a protective protective aspect. Yeah. I'll have a link in the show notes for that section of the, of the talk because it was it was enlightening to me. Anyway, very cool. Well, thank you so much for sending in this question. Hopefully we gave you some answers on what our thoughts are on it. Obviously there's no perfect security solution. So uh, depending on what you're trying to secure, how, how your business works, find the right solution for you. But we love hearing from our worldwide community. What we want you to do is get your official DLN mug. It's the only way this works. Fill it with some coffee or bubbly, sit down on the nearest stool and send us an email to comments at destinationlinux.org. And if you want to join in on the community discussions, then join the DLN community forum by going to dlnforum.com. We may use posts and discussions that you have there as a community in segments of the show. This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com DLN. Earlier in the show, we talked about two-factor authentication and all sorts of stuff, and, and password managers were brought up because they are a very important thing to have because you have a different, you, you should have a different password 
for every account on every website. And that is a lot to deal with. So that's where the password manager comes in. And how does it do that? Well, it provides various different tools to help you store your passwords in a secured vault, auto-generate auto, uh, auto those passwords for you, also auto-generate passphrases, and even automatically fill in passwords on login forms so you don't have to do that. And you can use it across all different types of devices. So if you have it on your desktop with a web browser or your desktop application, you can also do it on mobile apps and the command line, and you can have it access to, to use that, that vault as well as automatically fill the passwords in on all these different types of devices. And it makes it just so much you know, more convenient to have uh, very powerful passwords. And Bitwarden seals and encrypts those passwords inside of your vault with end-to-end -end encryption before it ever leaves your devices. So you know you're the only person to have access to your data. And you can go to right now to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started. Did I mention you can start it for free? You can, but I also think you want to check out the uh, premium accounts because it starts at just... Well, actually, less than a dollar per month. So for only $10 per year, you can get one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, Priority Customer Service, and so much more. They also have these organizational systems for businesses, teams, and enterprise, so you can have as many people as you want being able to securely share the data back and forth for managing it in your business and so many cool things. Bitwarden is fantastic, so make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get peace of mind and knowing that your passwords and other sensitive data is safe and secure. Again, go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started, and thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring Destination Linux. Okay, this is awesome. Inkscape 1.1 has just been released with lots of major updates, new features, and bug fixes following in the footsteps of the pivotal 1.0 release in May of 2020. This is really awesome. And so some of the new features include a new welcome dialogue, a command palette, a revamped dialogue docking system, searchable preference options, along with new formats for exporting your work. Just really awesome. Mm -hmm. So as you know, as soon as you launch uh, the new Inkscape, you get this beautiful welcome screen that allows you to customize your experience by choosing canvas colors, keyboard shortcuts, styles, theme sets, and color modes. And you can also choose the size of the document you want to create for print, social media, and more, or Op just open a recent file. Additionally, you can find out how to support Inkscape by becoming a contributor to the project. Nice. So they have that in the welcome yes. screen as well, which I love. Yeah. I've, I've got to ask Jill, um, I know a lot of people look up to me as an artist. <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> said nobody ever. So Ink Inkscape's really never made it. I, I, I've had the tool, I've installed it, but I've never had like a use case for it. So for those who may be in the similar camp for me, like I know Inkscape's awesome and I know a lot of people use it, but it's vector imaging. What kind Correct. of stuff do you create in Inkscape? Um, desktop publishing um, documents for, for web, for flyers. You can actually, you know, draw with it too, of course, and make some beautiful artwork as well. But because it is vector-based, it's good, you know, better for the design industry, like Michael uses it for. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, Inkscape is awesome. Uh, I'm a big fan of Inkscape, especially with, like what's funny is that the the list, latest release is 1.1, and it, it sounds like it's not that big of a difference because it's a point release <laughs> from the 1.0, but it is a yeah. big difference. Because the way the Inkscape does it, I mean, they got to 1.1 many years after the starting of the project. <laughs> and uh, the, so the 1.1 is actually a huge update. There's a lot of cool stuff in it. And uh, with, with in terms of like explaining the, the value of a vector graphics, the best way to describe it is that there's a difference between vector and raster. And the biggest difference mm -hmm. is that uh, a, a raster is based on pixels and a vector is based on math. So when you do graphics in... Uh, vectorized that means that anytime you make changes you could the the change is more it's a non-destructive change so you can yeah. create the content and then resize scale it up and down without ever losing any quality because it's doing it in a mathematical structure rather than a pixel structure because with right. pixels 
you can only shrink, you can't grow because otherwise you'll get blurring and artifacts and that sort of stuff. So that's the reason why vector is a very important. And you can't thing do that have. type of stuff in Krita. You can't do that type of stuff. No, in, you, you can. Well, do, you can. You can do non-destructive, yeah. and you can do some other stuff in Krita. Now there are other tools that we could talk about if you want, but most of them <laughs> are not vector based or they're gotcha. destructive in some way or whatever. But with Krita. What's really awesome is the latest version of Krita and the latest versions of Inkscape have an interconnection thing where you can send uh, compositions back and forth and benefit from having both of them, which is awesome. Uh, and this latest release of Inkscape adds something that I am a huge fan of, and I want every application on the planet to have this, and that is Command Palette. I mm -hmm. love Command Palette. Mm -hmm. When I first found it in a text editor you know, years ago, I was, I was thinking, oh my, oh my goodness, I don't need to use the menus anymore. I could just activate the command palette, type in what I want, and then boom, it's done. That's awesome. And yeah. having that built into the graphics application, that is a very powerful thing. I because, love software that has this feature. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, I love it. And, and the fact that they added it to Kingscape, was, I was so excited when they, when they announced that they were adding it because there's so many things to make objects and layers and, and paths and nodes and all sorts of stuff and filters and everything that's in... Uh, you know, Bezier filters and all those kinds of things inside of Inkscape, having it directly accessible with just a few hits on your keyboard is is an awesome thing because there are tons of different menus and sub menus and that kind of thing. Command palette, it was just so happy to see that. Uh, and also, the, there's mo a lot of different other modifications and improvements for performance and that sort of stuff. But uh, every time Inkscape as a new release, I am so excited to jump in and try it out because it is a fantastic mm -hmm. editor. And in the terms of like, you know, open source tools, there's this whole thing about people talking about proprietary software and then open source is the alternative actually available to use in a professional sense. And in my opinion, I think Inkscape is a very reasonably good alternative to those proprietary things that have been around for decades. And yeah. that, that that's not, you know, true on a lot of applications, but, <laughs> you know, like Blender is a good option for that. OBS is a good option for that. And Inkscape is another one of those things. So every time I'm super excited to try it and 1.1 is no exception to that. Yeah. So like Michael was saying, Inkscape, you know, is the great alternative to Adobe Illustrator, which I've moved my students over to Inkscape. Nice. And also from Corel Draw, which was one of my favorite vector-based <laughs> drawing mm -hmm. programs back in the day. So, that means you're training this yeah. in a university. So in some ways, <laughs> it's a standard, much like Krita and Blender and others have become Correct. open source projects that are actually a standard you can use in the professional industry. Absolutely. Inkscape is in that uh, that level of tool. And because yeah, they use SVG, they, uh, yeah. that, that format is, is compatible with all sorts of different applications. So it, Very cool. it's using standard yeah. formats and stuff too. And even Michael uses them to create our shirts. Because right. they're vector based, he can he can scale the image at any size and not use not lose quality. Yes. Well, I did log into it Very this important. week, and I mm -hmm. love the welcome screen. And I created a couple triangles and some squares and some boxes. <laughs> That's how you start, I, buddy. I began <laughs> to draw Michael because it seems like every time we have an art program, I have to draw Michael. But I never finished the project, so uh, I will get an Inkscape this week and finish a drawing of Michael. Sell it as a EFT. <laughs> Is that the new thing? That, yeah, yeah. Well, so and Michael, the circle, the square, or the triangle? Just curious. I think he's going to have a triangle head, circle body. Oh, it's an abstract implementation legs. of me. Yes. Oh, I, I'm, I can't wait to see this. We're going to put it in the show. Absolutely. Okay. You're going to get awesome. You have to okay. get it done before I get the editing done. Hopefully, maybe, Aww. maybe yeah. next week. Who knows? Uh, you don't rush art, Michael. Yeah, and <laughs> that's Michael. true. You don't rush art. <laughs> Speaking of one of my favorite tools in Inkscape, this ver the ver beautiful version 1.1. Is that you know we have a new display mode, which is actually very important. This is actually a must-have for those of us who work with lots of layers, and it's called it's a new outline overlay mode. Awesome! I, I'm it's so excited! I'm so, I was so <laughs> yeah. happy to see this. It's you, you Go explain, ahead. You <laughs> okay, so it just what the outline overlay mode does. It displays a muted view or opacity of your drawing behind the object outlines that are click sensitive. So you can make sure everything is in order and it's also easy to select your objects. <laughs> this is really a must have because uh, it's actually a default, default feature in many industry standard computer graphic applications, including 
Illustrator and Corel Draw and Blender and Maya and 3D Studio Max um, for both you know 2D and 3D applications. And it actually helps me with my large projects as an animator and a, and a computer graphics artist. So this is a must-have, and it's bringing Inkscape that much closer to, you know, a professional application Absolutely. that can be used in the industry. Yeah, this is one of those things where, like, it, it, it might not seem as a big thing when you look at it on the release notes and that sort of yeah. stuff, but in the professional <laughs> world, it is a huge thing because it makes it, for those who don't know, there's a difference between object or orientation and layer stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. in, especially in vector applications that typically they're heavily used on objects. And mm -hmm. what this is doing is creating an outline so you can identify very efficiently what, where the objects are sitting on top of each other. Cause otherwise they just kind of look like it's all in yeah. one, <laughs> like one canvas. And you're trying to Absolutely. click one of them yeah. and you can't get the right one. Cause you, yeah, can't you have see to click it, selected. move it out of the way yeah. and then activate that one right. and move it back and that sort of stuff. So this, this way that the doing the, the object overlay is a much better way of doing it because it makes it a lot more efficient to, to dig into the different object levels because there's a thing that happens with the image manipulation side of the professional thing where they heavily use layers and not objects. But in the vector side, mm -hmm. they kind of don't even bother with the layers in, in a lot of cases. Yes. And that true. creates, if you don't have this outlining of the objects, it creates a kind of a mess for people who are not used to that. So this is a huge game changer in terms <laughs> of the ability to know more efficiently use the software in the same way that when they in the 1.0 they added the canvas rotation i was yes. also incredibly excited about that too <laughs> so important well so. a huge thanks to the folks mm -hmm. who worked on and contributed to this project what it means to me as a non-artist is we have another <laughs> standard being developed in linux right where we can say this open source software here is a standard set in the industry that was created by a community of people who came together to basically compete with the commercial offering out there. And it's also huge for the digital divide because kids who want to get into art and create things don't have to go buy a very expensive license. They can literally just go and download <laughs> things like Inkscape and Krita and Blender and start utilizing these programs and not be held back because they don't have the finances to go purchase some ridiculous license from Adobe or other places. So just a huge thanks to them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a Inkscape was a game changer when they announced it, and every single new release mm -hmm. just makes it better and better. And every time I'm, I'm, I, I, it might seem like I'm overselling it, super excited about it. But when you, when it takes like when you have software that is an open source thing and you can stop using the proprietary thing, it is a huge thing for uh, designers and stuff like that. Like whoever is doing any professional work, it doesn't matter what kind of work it is, if you can take your uh, software and then replace it with open source and still have all the great benefits of doing it. Like that is a, that is, it's hard to describe how awesome that is to be. Well, Michael, I it's really exciting. thought you were going to be more excited about this project. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll try and next time. I'll try more next yeah. time. <laughs> <laughs> well, something I think that you will be excited about Ryan is yeah. the next topic because that is, so there's a rumor right now, the a potential portable steam console. That's Man. right. Woohoo. You know, like when we first heard that <laughs> Valve was going to be bringing us gaming to Linux, I mean, I, I was ex just as excited as I was about, you know, Inkscape and that sort of stuff. It was huge. But the rumor is that they're making the Steam Pal, which is a portable console in the same kind of vein of like, you know, a, a Switch or, you know, a handheld type of game. And so the sources at Ars Technica are saying that they have confirmed that the console is in production and might be released this year even, which is crazy. The best part is that this portable console would run off a, the Linux operating system and use Steam's already well-established and popular storefront. Will this well, be think like think about this like from a perspective of getting more AAA games on Linux. If Steam backs this portable Steam Pal, let's say this Valve backs it. If this is real, Right. First of all, and it seems like there's a lot of rumors confirming that it is indeed real. And Gabe himself, even at a conference, apparently was telling one of the students or something uh, when it related to consoles, because they said they are asking if, if Valve was ever going to get into consoles or something like that. Just wait, we've got some big news coming. This seems like the area that Valve would go attack. 
And it could be huge for getting those AAA titles over to Linux. Why? Because Valve has such power in the overall gaming scheme. We've seen what they've done to Linux. They've basically made Linux the you know, premier operating system to game on outside of Windows. The only reason Windows has anything is because they buy a lot of the studios and that type of stuff. But um, and, and they've been people have been gaming on it forever. But Valve actually made Linux super relevant over Mac OS, over everything else as the next best gaming platform out there taking all of that and putting it into a portable console, if it's sold well, if they made this device well, could truly mean that even on the desktop Linux experience, you're going to have a bunch of game manufacturers coming in and wanting to make their game work for the Steam console. And mm -hmm. it also seems like Gabe has this vision, because if you think about Proton and where Steam is coming, you had to have all of these steps in place before you could release something like this. And so I don't know that it was a vision. Maybe they just came up with it out of the blue or feel they have to react to the market. But if you follow the lines, like they've got everything on Linux working so well now with so many games. And now the idea of taking some hardware and, and selling a portable Steam console would just be awesome if, if they don't mess it up. You Well, you divide game consoles into like, two big categories right there's like the kid version of the game consoles you got like the nintendo switch and yep. those kind of those kinds of game consoles and then you have like the really serious accurate you know as real as possible immersive as possible gaming experiences and steam has always kind of kind of leaned towards that level I mean, they have both but they they've certainly concentrated on, on on the left side and who who is making a portable gaming console of of any kind in that realm yeah, I mean, there's been a couple of people who are rumored to be getting into it. There's been a couple of no-name companies, but no real big company like Valve, right? And that's a really good point that you make there. And one of the things that I hope for Linux gaming is one of the really popular game segments right now is first-person shooters. You've got things like Valorant, Apex. You've got um, even Fortnite, for instance. Those type of games are very, very popular uh, across the board, whether you're talking PC gaming or console gaming. And Linux definitely lacks first-person shooters. There's no doubt about it. We've got CSGO and we've got a couple of other games, but nothing to, the, to that caliber. And a lot of it's because of the anti-cheat systems and things like that. But with Valve pushing this, there, there's definitely the potential that those bigger companies will then make their game work on the Steam console. And if they make this game work on the Steam console, it's going to work in Linux. It's got to work on Linux. Because yeah. they're going to be using big picture mode. I'm <laughs> sure this system's going to boot up in big picture mode, and you're going to have like a like Noah was saying, like a switch-like device, bigger screen, probably more pro controllers and things for the type of games that you're going to play. But if this is going to take off, they're going to need some good FPS games on this. I feel like, and so I'm sure Valve has a plan there for that, and it's probably why they're they've been waiting to get to release this. I am just so excited about this. This is actually. This will be our Linux Steam machine that we've been wanting yeah. <laughs> for the last few years. You know, Valve with the Steam machines didn't have a unifying unifying environment around the Steam right. machine and good promotion. Yep. So, you know, this could be our Steam machine. And also Gabe Newell has said, you know, the last few years that Valve's Linux development was growing and that he has hired more Linux developers. And I knew that this wasn't just for software. I, I've kind of expected that there's something hardware coming down the pipeline for quite a while. And he has also stated many times that he wants game developers and gamers using Linux. And he has stuck to that, that promise every year since he launched Steam on Linux. Mm -hmm. And in fact, Steam on Linux, it's not just getting a lot of the usual GUI updates lately but it is has uh, ha, they've done a lot of reworking in the background and enhancements oh yeah and you know that that that's one of the reasons why because they're gonna putting out more hardware <laughs> I, th I think this is great news because i mean <laughs> it, it has been confirmed by ars technica but it also still is a rumor in some cases because valve hasn't necessarily confirmed it but yes <laughs> i am so excited because the whole thing with you know we had the work done by uh, the Steam machines previously, but those were kind of like companies, not Valve themselves, jumping mm -hmm. in and trying to make a Steam machine. And this, I think, is like the first time Valve has tried to do this. And I think that if they are, that that would be a game changer. 
uh, pardon the pun, that was not on purpose. Literally. <laughs> when they are on purpose, you will know. Uh, the, 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 the thing that's about, that's great about it is, is in addition to not just doing a Steam machine, but if they're doing a, like a handheld console, that is a really interesting thing because we've not had a real competitor in that space since like the Game Boy versus PSP. The, I yeah, mean, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah like, those, those sorts of things. Like this, this yeah. we've, we, it's been a long time since we've had those big competitors and I'm really happy if they, you do know what gets me excited really cool. though, Michael, is seeing Noah excited because Noah is the non-gamer of all of us. And if the <laughs> non-gamers get excited about this idea, I'm serious. Like if, if you get people Absolutely. who don't play games all the time and they look at this and they go, this is exciting. That means there's the potential here. If they do it right, if they market it right, they get the right hardware, that this could be gangbusters for them. Mm-hmm. So get the, so understand this, right? To a certain degree, like I, as I go through my daily life, I wake up at five in the morning, I get showered. I go to work and I work on projects and, and solving problems and all of those things all day. It's not that I don't ever have five or 10 minutes for recreation that I would like to use that maybe explore a game or check something out. But the idea that I'm going to go spend $2,000 on a gaming desktop and then go buy a desk and set it up somewhere in my house and then put the gaming desktop and, and, and set the whole thing up and have this gaming yep. experience or whatever. So I can do all of these things and play. And then, and then, because I found out <laughs> this is a thing you go to install the games. Well, that's a five, six hour experience sometimes to get all the games to download and install and all of that and configured. And then that driver didn't work and you have to, whatever, all the things I don't have time to approach that. But if I can walk into a Walmart or a Best Buy or wherever and plunk down a few hundred bucks or even a few thousand bucks and come back with a device I can hold in my hand and push a button. And now I can be launched into that gaming experience. And by the way, that thing, is running on Linux, so there's probably some hackery that can happen underneath the uh, underneath the skin. Now I'm really interested. Now, now yeah. there's something to play with. I, I love how you painted that picture, and I could even see where you were talking. Yeah. Like even for employees, right? You could have a break room where you have a bunch of Steam pals in there, and it, it's during the breaks. Your employees can go in there and play some games and things, and you don't have to have this massive setup of desktops and monitors and keyboards and everything else. There's just a lot of applications for something like this. I'm very excited about it. We're going to be covering all the portable options because there's a bunch of companies that you probably haven't heard of that are also trying to get into this portable PC market. So <laughs> somebody's somebody's trying to get something to take off here. A lot of companies are trying to get in here. Of course, I'm rooting for what Valve is doing because it's going to be yes. Linux-based, but we're going to talk about all that on Hardware Addicts on the next episode. So make sure to check out that podcast. This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean and their new app platform. DigitalOcean's app platform service is the solution to build modern cloud-native apps. DigitalOcean's app platform has support for Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, and static sites. What does all that mean? Well, simply you point your GitHub or GitLab repository and let the app platform do all the heavy lifting. Handle the infrastructure, app runtimes, dependencies, so you can push code to production with just a few clicks. Secure apps automatically. They create, manage, and renew SSL certificates and also protect your apps from DDoS attacks. Run code with little to no customization app platform uses open cloud native standards to automatically analyze your code and create containers that runs th- them on kubernetes clusters as a destination as a listener of the destination linux podcast and a member of the dln community you can get started for free better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you $100 credit when you go to do.co slash DLN. Again, do.co slash DLN to get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's new app platform. And we want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. So we would like to welcome Bo back to the show for his Bo's Hack Snack from his Hack Shack segment. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Michael, you went overboard with that name. I'm just it's, it's a bit much, but it, it flows yeah. so well. I gotta say, yeah, it, it flows. Aww. It flows. We love you, Bo Weaver. And yes, and I love you again. all too. <laughs> so, Bo, what kind of hack snacks do you have to share with us today that we can have a little bite of? Oh, I got a good one here. I know how everybody on this program loves telemarketers. Oh yes. How yeah. did you know? Wow. The warranties oh, ran yeah. out on my car like a hundred times. Well, uh, yeah. I have a phone, my, my house phone. I never give this number out. I never, I use it to make outbound calls sometimes. But, you know, when I signed up for my fiber and a business account, I got six free phone lines. I remember a day when you had a business and you had to beg and plead for a phone, extra phone line. And now they just give them away. I told them, I don't need six phone lines. <laughs> oh, well, you get them. So I got them. Well, I plug a phone into one of them and it immediately starts ringing. I found out that 
probably most teleco companies, they sell your phone number to the telemarketer. That's the only way they could have got this number because I've never put it on a piece of paper. So why does it ring? Well, I found this hack out a long time ago, and I've real I've told a couple of friends, but I've never really put it out here like this. I found out the auto dialers actually the company I work for, Compliance Point, is owned by a parent company, Possible Now. And what they are is they're the legitimate, they're the company that for legitimate companies want to get their client list washed and make sure that you're not calling a do not call number. That's what Possible Now does for very large reputable companies. They make sure that they're only calling people that want to be called. But uh, anyway, there's a lot, you get all these calls, but working for this company, I found out a lot about how telemarketing works. Most of them work off an auto dialer. And what it is, is the computer making a bunch of calls. And until somebody says hello, it never goes to a real person. That way, the person, you know, they're paying money to, you know, they're not wasting their time calling, you know, a phone number and getting somebody like me that's screams a bunch of obscenities and tells them to go away. But I found this little hack out. Because it's a robo-dialer, it listens for that hello, but it also listens for other things like this sound. That's a United States trouble signal that all telco companies use. What you do is, is on your voicemail recorder for your message, you put that little sound on there. And then you record your message. You've called this number, you get that sound, and then you hear me say, this is really a valid working number. Leave a message after the beep. So oh, what wow. I so you put that on your voicemail. Yeah. That's pretty cool. That's interesting. Okay. I was you thinking you had to house. sit there anytime they call and you awesome. play the button, but you're no, you put it on your voicemail oh, you right at the very voicemail. beginning. Yeah, uh, you automatically send hear it, you send it to voicemail or whatever. This way you can just do it and it will Send the signal to them. That's awesome. What, what are you, yeah. a hacker, Bo? Me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, after a while, after you let these people call for a while, they eventually go away because that robo dollar hears that sound and they, they think it's not a working number and they kick it out of the database. No more calls. Fascinating. Because, so because, simple. Yeah. <laughs> especially I get all these calls for, uh, you know, to renew the uh, warranty on my car. And, you know, I've tried talking to those people, you know, please just take my name out. I'm never going to do it. But they, you know, and they hang up on you when you're trying to be polite. And one thing, the reason why this does this, one thing that makes me angry about the telemarketing businesses is when they make a call, they're using a spoof number. That number yeah. you get is poor, sometimes some poor soul, and you call that number and you hear somebody crying on the other end of the phone, man, I'm so sorry, somebody's spoofing my number, it wasn't me, and uh, that's bad, but a lot of times they use dead numbers. The thing that this, you know, that makes me really angry about the telco company is, is the caller, the, what it is, is you can change your caller ID number. And that is what is logged. If you go to the telephone company and you say, I want a copy of the uh, log of all my phone calls, they'll send you a log, but it's got that caller ID number in there. The only way you can get the originating telephone number is through a warrant. And here's the catch 22 about that. You've got a spoof number. That's all you got. So you can't go down to the sheriff's department and get a warrant because you know that number is no good. You need the originating phone number to get the warrant. But when you call to their little lawyers tell you, oh, well, you got to have the warrant before you get that originating phone number. And sadly, it's not like an in internet. You know, you start hitting my network. I've got the originating IP number. You send me spam. I can find out the originating IP number of that mail server. You can't do that with telemarketing. This is the only cure I found to drive them away. Wow. That's really interesting hack. I like it. And so where do they get that recorded sound? Just download it online somewhere? Uh, I don't have, I've got, I'll send you all a link. It'll be on your, on this, this show's link, a link to my website where you can awesome. down, download this, this uh, MP3 file. Very cool. And well, next time you call me, I, Michael, you're going to hear that just to make sure you're not a bot. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. And then I will yeah. definitely tell you about your car warranty. <laughs> 
Darn it. <laughs> there'll be a little there'll be a little page up in case yeah. people forget. There'll be a little page up pretty soon that'll have a little bit about this and have a link to it. But right now I'll make sure that y'all have a link to put in the show notes to download the file. That is awesome. Thank you so much. But this oh. is awesome because it's so it's such a simple solution and it's one we've heard many times and we've called numbers that aren't available. <laughs> so. Yeah, we've heard, I've heard that sound. I knew what it was when he was oh, testing yeah. it. Immediately. Yeah, the, the most righteous hacks are mostly the simplest ones. Yes, <laughs> love it like that. Well, thank you both for joining us on another Bose Hack Snack from the Hack Shack. We're going to have you on, <laughs> of course, in the future again to do more stuff. Plus. I, I kind of tempted you because I bought a Hack 5 field kit, Bo, and you're going to help on my channel kind of uh, show how all of this cool hacking stuff works. Man, <laughs> I, can't wait. I can't wait for you to show me this stuff. I figured it would be fun for me to do some videos on me doing it alone. And I'm like, wait, I know Bo. He's going to get Bo to come <laughs> yeah. on my channel and actually show this stuff from a pro's uh, standpoint. So yeah. it'll be awesome. All right. Thanks, Bo. Okay. Thank you, Anytime. Bo. Good to see you all. Bye now. So in our gaming section this week, we're going to talk about a game that looked like so much fun. I, I called Michael up when I saw it release for, and it was available on Linux. I said, Michael, you got to get this game. He said, uh, I don't know, man. And so I was like, well, I'll, I'll download it. And then me and you are going to play it because it's co-op on stream. And so you were down, Michael. You're like, yeah, let's do it. We're going to yep. do an impromptu stream with this game called Outbreak Endless Nightmares, which is essentially a zombie game. They explain it like, Endless Nightmares twist the series survival horror gameplay by adding elements of roguelike gameplay. You explore, hunt for supplies, uncover clues, fight your way through an anomaly, lots of weapons, lots of zombie destruction. Looked really cool, plus co-op. So I download the game, I get it all set up, get OBS set up, we're ready to stream. And every time Michael joins co-op, it allows him to control just my character. Yeah. So it was no. not very co-oppy. Oh. I'm um, controlling my character. He's controlling my character. And there's a second character. It's splitting the screen because we're selecting co-op. But he can only control my character. So I don't know oh, what's boy. going on or what's <laughs> wrong with it or if it's just Michael and me. But about 40 minutes later of trying to troubleshoot that, we went and played CSGO, which is out there on my channel yes. now. One of the funniest Yay. It was videos fantastic. to watch. It, that was a great one. We are, <laughs> if you want to get, if you want to become a pro yeah. at CS:GO, that's not what the stream's about. This is just enjoying the the wonders and, and weirdness of how how amazing as as gamers we are for making content that we're terrible at these games. Yeah. But it is awesome. You, there, I went back and watched it. Is it, there's some parts that are hilarious? Like there there were times where Ryan was like, "Hey, where are you at?" And I'm like, "Oh, uh, I'm over here. I'll I'll find you." And he's like. You're not walking towards me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's my tactic right now. Because <laughs> you would survive if you were away from me. Yeah. yeah. So I accidentally spawned one time, actually, and we we actually had some success. We're like, let's try this again. Anyway, it was <laughs> it was fantastic. Check it out. We'll have a link in the show notes. And, and but Jill this... and your husband joined Jill, <laughs> yeah. and your husband was actually awesome. joined in trolling us, which was yes. Which was an honor, frankly. <laughs> so that. yeah, yep, we yep. had a good time. But Outbreak, <laughs> look, uh, I think they have some bugs to work out uh, on this game. But Jill, when we told you we were trying Outbreak, uh, it was a nightmare for us. So it, Endless mm. Nightmare works. But you actually like this series. You've played this series before. It's actually really, really fun. And it's got really nice graphics. <laughs> yeah, they're decent. It's different. Yeah. It's weird controls. But um, hopefully they get it fixed and we'll try it again. But uh, it's it, not it my looked- favorite right now. It looked like fun, but we didn't get to try it, so we don't know. Yeah. Maybe it yeah. will be at some point. Maybe they'll fix the remote play issue, because we got in the chat, uh, Technonita says that with remote play together, the host needs to use controller, and the player two has to use keyboard. We tried every oh, variable, tried. and it, it, it didn't okay. work, so I don't know. Maybe uh, this, this will get to the developers, and they can fix it. That'd be great. Uh, so... If you want to play it in like it does seem to have a good uh, first person single or player. single player yeah. thing, yeah. So yeah. check that out if you want to do that. So last week we talked about explainshell.com, which is a way to take a complex command and have it broken down into parts as a way to learn how it works. So I thought we could do like a cool follow-up to that with a, you know, kind of a cheat sheet type of thing to do to f- search for quick tips on various Linux commands. And well, actually, you can call it a cheat sheet because a cheat sheet because that's exactly what it is, and that is cheat.sh. 
So the software spotlight, go to cheat.sh. It's a website, but it's also a tool. So you can install this tool. You can use it on the website directly. You can actually use it on your system without installing it because you can run a command of curl, then space cheat.sh, and then put in the command that you want to get the cheat about. And that is a really cool thing. I'll have a description in the, uh, the show notes so you can check that out. But it has support for more than like a thousand of the most important Linux commands. It even covers uh, tips on like 50 different programming languages, actually more than that. Uh, it also ha- they, they say that it provides access to the best community-driven cheat sheets repositories in the world on par with Stack Overflow. And I've tried it out, and it's really cool when you t- test out the different commands. It will give you, like, here's the most frequently used things of this particular command or this p- tool and that sort of stuff. So it gives you, like, hints about learning it, but also really quickly finding, you know, being able to look back. And, you know, if you've already used these at these tools before, it's a nice way of reminding you about certain features in these tools. So it's really cool. And I really love the fact that you don't even have to install it or use the website. You can just run it directly with curl. Really cool. So check it out. Cheat.sh. Our tip of the week this week is about Raspberry Pis and a Steam Link. So if you're waiting for the portable Steam device to launch and you're saying to yourself, well, I just can't wait that long. Well, there is a solution for you. Until the, the, the portable Steam gaming console comes out, all you need to play your Steam games is Raspberry Pi 3B, the latest version of Raspbian installed on an SD card and an Ethernet connection back to your trusty gaming PC. Now, Steam Link is going to allow you to play your Steam games from your gaming PC and stream it anywhere in the house over to your Raspberry Pi. Why does that work? Well, essentially, when you're thinking about how you're playing a game, there's really only two things that are necessary. One is a high-resolution, low-leg uh, video stream of what the game is doing, which we've perfected with Netflix and Hulu and all the other things, right? And the other side of it is just the XY coordinates from your gaming controller. And if you can have a bi-directional communication of both of those things, well, you can play a game in real time from anywhere. Harness the power of your gaming PC sitting in another room and stream it to your Raspberry Pi sitting on your living room couch. Now, once you have Raspberry set up on your Pi, all you have to do is run sudo apt update and then sudo apt install Steam Link. Once installed, we can close the terminal and then click on the Steam Link desktop icon to launch the application. You'll simply go through the process to set up and connect it to your gaming PC after that, you'll be able to use controllers uh, with the Steam Link, such as the Xbox 360 controller, the Xbox One, the PlayStation 4. That's it. Anywhere in the house that you have your Raspberry Pi, a television, and an Ethernet connection, now you have a gaming console linked to your gaming PC. Nice. So one more thing before we end the show, we want to do give you let you know about a big announcement that happened this week, and that is the Fedora podcast has returned. And yeah. to help us with this news, we've invited one of the hosts of the Fedora podcast to the show, someone you may know because uh, he's a very active member of the DLN community, and that is Grayson, a.k.a. Computer Kid. So, Grayson, welcome to the show. And also, it's it's great to see that the Fedora podcast is back. So tell us about the show and what it's about. The show is going to be about sort of what's going on currently in Fedora and in the Fedora community. We're going to talk about things like new technologies in the distro or people who are organizing cool things around the community and, you know, just all kinds of other Fedora related stuff in a podcast form. Very nice. That's awesome. Oh, awesome, Computer Kid. We are so proud and excited to have you as part of our network. This is just so exciting in the Fedora podcast. What does the Fedora podcast have in store for season two? Recorded and ready to go. We've got a whole bunch of awesome interviews lined up, including ones with developers working on stuff like ButterFS and Pipewire and people creating things like the KDE spin and some community people who run elections and conferences. And we're definitely working on getting more interviews like these lined up to get recorded, put down the feed. Wonderful. I can't. I, mean, I can't wait for that. The, the ButterFS <laughs> one, I, I I got a little bit of a sneak peek for it, and I can't wait to see the whole thing. It's really cool, uh, and also the Pipewire one is so many good stuff. I can't wait to see you know the return of season two for the Fedora podcast. Yeah, and I'm so happy favorites. you're hosting it. You're one of the hosts of the show in there, and I've listened to the show. You are doing a fantastic job there, but you've been a part of our community for such a long time, an active member, and like people notice when you're not here. Like when you don't show up to the patron, you know, virtual stadium, this 96,900 square foot big, 
um, people really notice it. Like they're like, where's computer kid? Where's he at? Um, you're such Aww. an intelligent individual. <laughs> I love having you as a part of the community. I'm so happy that you guys are going to be part of the Destination Linux Network as well. Uh, so we can help get the word out about this podcast. I really want to thank you for also bringing Linux into a much younger generation as well, because there are so many other kids out there who are going to see this, listen to this, see not only how amazingly active you are in Linux and open source, um, but it's going to encourage them to get into it as well. And you're just an awesome person. So I'm just very happy for you to have this podcast, this platform, and and thank you for doing this and the work that you do, because it is important. Thank you, guys. You've been so helpful along the whole ride. That's great to hear. Well, go check out right now the Fedora podcast. Get it added to your player. Then go rate it five stars after you listen to it, because you're going to rate it five stars. Go listen to it. Go add it in there and add it to part of your listening program. You're not going to want to miss it. They're doing fantastic work over there. And uh, yeah, we're going to see what's up next in the next interviews you guys have set up and maybe have you all both back on the show to talk to you later. Yeah, and you you can find links in the show notes, and also you can go ahead and rate it five stars before you listen to it. It's it's gonna be great. Yeah, so it's just, true. You, know, you can just assume it's gonna be five stars anyway. It's true. Mm-hmm. Thanks, computer kid. Yay, we love you. Thank you guys. All right, and a big thank you to each and every one of you watching or listening right now. However you're doing, whether you're on YouTube, Twitch, watching the live show, listening to the stream afterwards, we love your faces. And if you want more DL, you can become a patron, like so many of these beautiful people with us here in our 100,000 square foot virtual stadium. It grew since I was talking to Computer Kid. Can you believe that? (laughs) That's the advantage of having a virtual stadium. And you get advantages at like perks, VIP access to shows, live events that we're doing, any game-a-thons. You get unedited versions of the show. So if you can't make it live on Sunday and you get to come hang out with us for a patron only after show, after each show. In addition, every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern, we're now live at DLNlive.com. The best part, everyone is invited to watch the recording of Destination Linux each and every week. We can't wait to see you guys in the chat. And go right now to DLNstore.com where you can pick up some awesome swag. We got t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers, aprons, camper mugs that Jill's showing off. All sorts of stuff. We got water bottles. Anything you can think of. That's not, not okay, not anything, but a lot of stuff is there in DLNstore.com. I was thinking of some crazy things right there. (laughs) We don't have helicopters yet. We're working on it. (laughs) DLNstore.com. Check it out. So many great things there. And we have so many amazing shows here on the Destination Linux Network. We have the Pseudo Show, the Ask Noah Show, yay, Noah! This Week in Linux, yay, Michael! The DOS Geek Channel, yay, Ryan! DLN Extend, Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, and get your Fedora hat on with our latest show, the Fedora Podcast, with our very own Computer Kid Grayson. Nice, (laughs) nice, love it. So go to destinationlinux.network and subscribe to all these shows to keep those penguins marching in the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce. And everybody have a wonderful week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. There it is. See you next week. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, we should, we should make that our ending. Everybody holding up the live long and prosper. All right, patrons, you can turn on your cameras, turn on your... I like uh, Noah's squeaks. Like, Sorry about leaving my camera on. Ryan got started and I didn't know if I would mess up. No, you oh, were good to keep fine. it on. Yeah. yeah. I felt so awkward. You guys are going on. I was just like, hi. Yeah, hi, I didn't know he was going to do that either. So <laughs> I was like, uh, what's going well, well, I figured it's... you wouldn't have to switch scenes again if we just rolled it out, but yeah. I didn't well, really I mean, plan I'll, it with you. I, yeah, I, I will have to do other post-production stuff, so thanks for that, buddy. <laughs> Aww. You're and... welcome. <laughs>